Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Zach Drew. And I am Josh Beck. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. It's uh, it's that uh, wonderful uh, time of year. I know here in central Illinois that there are, the leaves are starting to change. It's, you know, the yellow leaves are coming. I got an orange tree, actually. I think I'm probably one of the first orange trees in central Illinois. So it's uh, it's my favorite time of the year. And so I'm, Mine just, too. I'm enjoying it. Listen, we've got a... Good show for uh, you today. Uh, there's going to be a few different things where we are going to be discussing. One is a new article stating that nearly a third of Gen Z favors the government installing surveillance cameras in homes. Something else we're going to be discussing is uh, America descends from a tale of two cities. Jamestown versus Plymouth. It truly is the tale of two Americas. And you're going to be able to see without any question which America is winning right now. But you're going to see the genesis of all of that take place. It's going to be really uh, a cool thing. Also, another thing we're going to be saying, did you know that certain governors in America's past would whip socialists? <laughs> I, I feel like that could be really beneficial to us in America today. I mean, literally, they would drag them out and whip them for being lazy, like socialists, like for, for promoting a socialist lifestyle. And, and it actually worked for quite some time. And also, uh, we're going to end the program. I am convinced you cannot be a socialist and a Christian. They, and the reason I say that is because they have irreconcilable differences. And so the last topic today is Christianity versus socialism. We're going to be talking about all of this and so much more in today's program. But first, I do want to ask you to join the Power of Your Club. In a world where information is everywhere, how can we separate the signal from the noise? Introducing the Paul Revere Club, your one-stop destination for breaking news, current events, and cutting-edge coverage of the latest developments in science, technology, politics, and so much more. Signing up for the Paul Revere Club has never been easier or more affordable. For a monthly donation of only $30, you can unlock a world of knowledge at your fingertips. Simply call our toll-free number, 888-459-5727 and tell our operators you would like to join the Paul Revere Club. Or go to ZachDrewShow.com, click on the IGBY store, click the Paul Revere Club icon, and sign up today. In George Orwell's famous book, 1984, Big Brother is Watching You, citizens of the fictional nation Oceana are under constant government surveillance, including in their own homes. Devices called telescreens display propaganda and record people's actions, allowing the government to monitor people even in what should be the most private place they know, their homes. Now, this, this type of behavior is meant to be an extreme example. That's why, I mean, it was such a wildly successful book. Everybody knows 1984, Big Brother, right? It was meant to be an extreme example of what can happen when a government gains too much power and opposition to such surveillance has been assumed to be overwhelming and it's assumed to be absolutely obvious. But is it? 
There is a, this is from the Cato Institute, a new article, uh, nearly a third of Gen Z favors the government installing surveillance cameras in their homes. They asked respondents whether they quote, favor or oppose the government installing surveillance cameras in every household to reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity, end quote. Well, they found that as the brackets for age increase, so does the disdain for government overreach. For age 30 and under, 29% support in-home surveillance. For ages 30 through 44, it's 20%, and 45 and over is 6%. This study shows that, yes, the overwhelming majority of Americans oppose the government surveilling people in their homes. However, that absolutely does not mean that we can ignore the demographics that do support it because that demographic is growing exponentially over time. It's interesting, too, because this study found that more than half of those who support the U.S. adopting a central bank digital currency are also in support of government surveillance in homes. What a, what a weird correlation there. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Yeah. So, so here's the thing is they are being taught in schools to hate America. Mm -hmm. They are being taught to hate freedom, right? And I mean America as in historical America, what America has stood for, its values, what it represented, not only to us here on our homeland, but throughout the world. That's right. They are destroying the perception of America, and that's why they don't care about what it means to be an American. They don't care about the free economic system. They don't care about freedom. They don't care about personal rights. They don't care about private property. It true. What we are seeing is the tale of two Americas, and there is this, there has been a battle since the beginning in America. There has been a battle of two Americas, decade by decade, and you can actually see that the course of history. Whenever one is winning, and when the other one is winning, and we're going to be talking about that. But but what but what you shared in the in the article is so in, incredible that, and not surprising though. That as you get older, the more American you are, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and, I, and I mean that because you know the, the statistics are saying, hey, you know, if you're over sixty years old, what was it five six percent said, yeah, I'm okay with surveillance in the home. Yeah, it's overwhelmingly anti-surveillance. But as you see, the younger you go, the more socialist you become. This is a clear indication that conservative views are becoming. In archaic filter in which to view the world, these people will one day be sitting congressmen and women. They, th these, these people that are growing up, they'll one day shape future policies. They will one day be making new laws, changing existing laws. They'll be judges, teachers, professors. They already are in some regard, large part. It is possible. Is it possible that increased support for government surveillance among the young has common roots with what Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt described in The Coddling of the American Mind when they said, tell me if this isn't accurate, young people seem more willing to prioritize safety, you know, from possible violence or hurtful words over ensuring robust freedom from government surveillance or to speak freely. That is such a powerful, young people seem more willing to prioritize their own safety over their own freedom. So, so when we read articles like your Wi-Fi can see you, 
understand that there is a large portion of our population that isn't phased by such an alarming notion, but, but would rather encourage it. And it's happening right now. Yeah, and as terrifying as it is, it's totally true. Your Wi-Fi can be used to track you. It's not some far-off science fiction scenario. It's happening now. We could be entering a time very soon when we won't only have to worry about cameras being put in our homes, but rather the government will use your own Wi-Fi signals to track your, your every move, creating a new America where privacy, unfortunately, is truly dead. And already... Almost a third of Gen Zers are in full support mm -hmm. already without there being some crazy mass psyop, right? I want to get into, all this material has been good, but I want to get into this awesome history. I, I love history. I really do. I love it because it, 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 it it's like once you, the more you know, it provides a filter in which to view everything else that you're seeing. Right. And it makes everything else make sense. And first of all, let me know, I'm gonna let you know that the book is that I'm bringing a lot of this content from is called The American Story. And it's by David Barton and Tim Barton. When going all the way back, when looking at the period of American discovery and its early planting, a clear contrast has been made between the first two permanent colonies, Virginia, and Massachusetts, which Massachusetts was, was formed jointly by the Pilgrims and the Puritans. Each colony has had a powerful impact on the nation and each created a long lasting legacy felt across the generations, but in dramatically different ways. Comparing the two illustrates how that in some respects America became the tale of two cities. So let's first talk about Jamestown, which later became Virginia. This is, this is the first America. This is one of the Americas, the battle of two Americas, the battle of two cities. Jamestown and Virginia, all right? Jamestown, which became Virginia. That's the one we're gonna start with, the first America, the, the, you know, the tale of two Americas, the two cities, right? So the Jamestown settlers grew up and came from a world radically different from anything to which Americans today are accustomed. There was no private property per se. The king claimed ownership of the land and would sometimes grant portions of it to lords and nobles, but he could always take it back and give it to someone else. Those Virginia colonists were also part of the official state-established Anglican Church of England because they relied heavily on state-appointed priests who told them how to interpret the Bible. Okay, so they generally were not strong students of, of scriptures and teachings, and most were professing Christians, but few knew the Bible well. Additionally, the early Virginia colonists knew very uh, few trades or vocations, and what they did have was often assigned them by the government. What they produced was generally for the direct benefit of others being king, the king or nobles, okay, not themselves. They therefore relied heavily on government provisions for their uh, sustenance. And their general culture was socialistic and elitist. And, you know, can you think about today, how would you feel if your priest or your pastor 
was state uh, appointed. Be time to find a new church. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now listen, let us, I'm going to read a portion of this book. So <clears throat> it says here, because the Virginia settlers had lived their lives dependent on the bounty of the king, they were unprepared for the hard work necessary to survive in the new lands. Consequently, of the original 104 colonists who arrived in Jamestown, two-thirds were dead within six months. Two years later, with the arrival of additional ships, the population had grown to 490. But only 60 survived the winter of 1609, which is called the Starving Time. An official in the colony described the moral depths to which they sank, and it is uh, pretty graphic, so be warned. Having fed upon horses and other beasts as long as they lasted, we were glad to make shift with vermin as dogs, cats, rats, and mice, and to eat boots, shoes, or any other leather. And now famine, beginning to look ghastly and pale in every face, that nothing was spared to maintain life and to do those things which seem incredible, as to dig up dead corpses out of graves and to eat them. And some have licked up the blood which has fallen from their weak fellows and amongst the rest. This was most lamentable, but one of our colony murdered his wife, ripped the child out of her womb and threw it in the river and after chopped the mother in pieces and salted her for his food. You know, this sounds so barbaric. For first off, this is the end of socialism, okay? And these, I believe that, and, and actually our forefathers and those who understand the free market system, they took principles from the word of God to establish that. That is a blessing from God. And whenever you see the cursings of God, the 54 cursings of God detailed in Deuteronomy 28, you are seeing things like this. Mothers eating their children, which wasn't exactly what happened, but you're seeing that the correlation between judgment upon a socialistic nation that, that doesn't love God, that are Christians in name only, that do not know the actual scriptures, do not know actually the teachings of Christ, but it's simply they are because the state has essentially mandated it. Now, a major reason for the starving time was Jamestown socialistic system and the lack of private property. Right. Right? So simply put, the colonists in Virginia had little incentive to work hard and improve the plots of the land. Let's uh, keep, keep reading. It says here on page 76 of the American Story, Governor John Smith implemented a policy designed to combat their socialism, and it was drawn directly from the Bible declaration that says, whoever would not work must not eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He therefore placed squarely on the soldiers of every individual the necessity of being productive. The colony would provide charity for the sick, disabled, and, el and el elderly, but not the able-bodied. Every citizen must work for himself. If he did not, he would receive nothing. The Virginians fiercely resisted this policy, but historians affirm that, quote, it was the best law possible for such a time and place. Now, when Smith returned to England after his injury in 1609, the colony reverted to socialism and widespread laziness along with its accompanying problems. 
when Thomas Dale later became governor, uh, later became governor in 1616, he tried to get them back to work and thus, quote, ruled with a rod of iron. He enforced Smith's rule by whipping those who would not work. And he, per, and he wisely began to break down the old system of holding all property in common. You see, with the Jamestown colonists, general aversion to working for themselves and their desire to have others work and provide for them, it's not surprising what it led to. It's not surprising that the Virginia colony is where chattel slavery first became legal in America. You see, state dependency creates socialism. It is socialism. And socialism creates slaves. You see, chattel slavery is the complete and unlimited ownership of another person and their descendants. Let's keep reading. The Southern propensity for slaves became so strong that during the American War for Independence, Many Southerners were reluctant to serve in defense of America for fear that their slaves might escape. Great Britain saw the South's interest in slavery as a way to divide the Americas. That's really what they were doing. So in late 1775, she promised freedom to slaves who escaped and joined her. While some 100,000 slaves joined the British, only 5,000 of them were actually freed. With most of the rest remaining in slavery with the British. In fact, the British forcibly seized and kept slaves to increase their own resources. The, the announced British plan had an opposite effect. It motivated many slave owners, including some Americans with British sympathies, to get involved in the fight in order to save slavery in their plantations. This is not to say that slavery was a primary cause of the war for independence, as the New York Times 1619 Project has wrongly asserted. Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Henry, Mason, and many other Southerners were patriots long before Great Britain tried to use slavery to divide the colonies. As will be shown later, anti-slavery sentiment drove many toward separation from Great Britain, even in the South. So many slaves were free during the era of American independence. And actually, this uh, period sometimes is even called the first emancipation, which is pretty neat. Let's, uh, I want to read this a little bit more, okay, and then we'll continue. With the, Virginia's, uh, with the Virginia colony's early rejection of the equality of all individuals, it became logical to preserve the sort of class distinctions common in England. At the top were white elites, including plantation owners, government officials, who were often plant plantation owners, uh, owners, and ministers of the church state, Below this class were white citizens who owned small plots of land, followed by common laborers. At the bottom were free blacks and then slaves. The lower classes were expected to defer to their betters, and groups and labels became more important than individuals. For one thing, uh, let's, let's stop right there. This is the first America. Mm -hmm that encourages elitism, that encourages socialism, that encourages state dependency, that is okay with uh, enslaving people to have slaves, right? That is the first America. 
That is one America, rather. But then you have an entirely different America. Plymouth. Plymouth Rock, the Pilgrims and the Puritans, which had became Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. The Pilgrims and the Massachusetts colony, no, they, they produced a very different legacy. Legacy that I am proud of as an American. Citizens in the northern colonies found life uh, no less challenging or dangerous than, than the southern colonists. And they too professed Christianity just as those in Virginia had. But their thinking and behavior differed greatly. You see, <clears throat> for one thing, they had a much greater personal knowledge of the Bible and its teachings. That makes a difference, right, my friend? It was a constant emphasis for every individual, pilgrim and Puritan, to personally know the scriptures and to confirm to its teachings. They therefore strongly objected state-run churches, absolutely, right? And were more supportive of the individual rights of religious conscience. When departures from religious tolerance did occur, they were relatively short-lived and quickly corrected. So while the Virginia colony was uh, professedly Christian, Christian in name only, really, mm -hmm. the colonies in what became Massachusetts strove to be biblical, which made a significant difference in behavior as well as public policy. For example, Virginia's first code of laws acknowledged the scriptures in general, but cited no specific verses as the basis for its laws and policies. But the legal code in Massachusetts, it contains specific scripture references accompanying the various provisions of the code. Also, the king gave the pilgrim settlers some of his land, just like the, uh, the uh, you know, those, the colonists in Virginia, okay? But they acted totally different. Those in Virginia just took the land from the Indians. Oh my gosh, my cat is in here. <laughs> Hi. I don't know if you can see. Come here, Goose. Come here, Goose. Watch this. Oh, there's Goose. <laughs> this is a good cat. Come here. Come here, Goose. You want to come up on the table? Yep. Yep. And just so you know, he's not allowed on any of the counters. <laughs> any of the tables in the house, so you can come and eat my food still. But uh, but it was totally different for those in Massachusetts. Right. Even though the king gave them land, they still were honorable about it and approached the Indians, and the Indians and the colonists of Massachusetts agreed. They both agreed on what should be exchanged. So it was it was actually like you know the biblical way of, of handling it. So you're seeing these differences. So furthermore. When those in Plymouth faced a shortage of food like, like that at Jamestown, they didn't have to be whipped into working. They quickly recognized the shortcomings of socialism and voluntarily abandoned it, instituting elements of actually what became the, uh, the free market economic system. The first free market economic system, the first free market business in America was a pilgrim-run trading post. That That's... That's fascinating to me. So let, let's, I want to finish this section and then we're going to close with uh, how Christianity and socialism uh, have irreconcilable differences. 
Additionally, in Massachusetts, education was required for all, no matter how poor or common they might be. And because these colonists were familiar with biblical teachings on the equality of all mankind, they saw chattel slavery as wrong. In 1641, man-stealing became a capital crime, punishable by death. Man-stealing made a crime by Exodus 21.16 and 1 Timothy 1.10 in the Bible was the forcible abduction of a person from their own country to send to another. Because of that law, in 1646, there's Goose, in 1646, when a shipload of slaves arrived in Massachusetts, the colonists freed the slaves, then imprisoned and punished the slave traders, totally different than their Virginian counterparts. Massachusetts permitted slavery in a narrow and very limited circumstance. Uh, but after independence, Massachusetts became the first state to completely abolish slavery. And by the time of the first national census in 1790, there was not a single slave in the state. In summary, much that was good in America came from Plymouth Colony and spread outward. And much that was detrimental came from the Jamestown Colony also spreading outward. Actually, in 1888, uh, with America still deeply reeling from the direct and indirect effects of the Civil War, there was a wall map that was published showing many of the fruits produced by the two models, by the two colonies. That graphic showed God's blessings flowing outward from the biblical principles introduced in Plymouth. And it will show and illustrate God's curse moving outward from the bad philosophy, philosophy in Jamestown. And, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll end with this. The reason I, on this show, a Christian show, talking about socialism is because socialism is anti-God. Therefore, Christians who stand upon the word of God should stand against socialism, should stand against communism, Marxism. Socialism is based on a materialistic worldview. Socialism punishes virtue. Socialism, well, it, it endorses stealing. Socialism encourages envy and class warfare. Socialism seeks to destroy marriage. Socialism seeks to destroy the family. Socialism seeks to, for the state to replace the family. That way it can indoctrinate children in its leftist way of thinking and remove them from any notions of God and religion. It's actually Frederick Engels, who was the co-author with, with Marx of the Communist Manifesto, once wrote that the society he envisioned would be one where the single family ceases to be the economic unit of society. Private housekeeping is transformed into a social industry. The care and education of the children becomes a public affair. That is what they wanted. We are entering into, next year, the commander-of-chief of our nation. And the two-party system in America is a perfect representation of the two Americas. The two-party system is a representation of Actually, I wouldn't say a perfect representation, but a representation of Virginia and Massachusetts from the original uh, Jamestown versus Plymouth. Listen, I want to encourage you as we end the, today's program, we're talking about all these things, current events, and you know the tale of two Americas, and 
it's all interesting and, and it's and it's beneficial. Like I really enjoy talking about these things. But more importantly than anything else is the Word of God. And I want to encourage you at home uh, to make sure that you're in your Word on a daily basis, being constantly fed spiritually. That is the most important thing. We are totally out of time for today's show, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>